I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's mentally yours. Hi everyone and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. I'm Yvette and today I'm chatting to Dr Emma Lawrence. She carries out mental health research at Imperial College London and is also the founder of youth charity It Gets Brighter. We're going to be chatting about how heat waves and climate change can affect mental health. So I currently work, as, as you mentioned, at the Institute of Global Health Innovation at Imperial College London as a mental health innovations fellow and also work with the Grantham Institute for Climate and Ch- Climate Change in the Environment. Um, But before I joined Imperial, I uh, studied neuroscience. I was at the University of Oxford doing my master's and then my DPhil or PhD in computational and clinical neuroscience. So I was trying to understand how the brain processes uncertainty and how that influences decision making and particularly how people who have a tendency to get anxious might um, process that uncertainty differently uh, in the brain. So I was really interested in in uncertainty, which comes into when we're thinking about climate change, which we might talk about uh, later as well. Um, But alongside that, I was founding a youth mental health charity called It Gets Brighter, which is a platform for people, particularly young people, to create, watch and share video messages of hope and support. And that really stemmed from my own experiences with mental illness as a teenager. Um, And before that, in Australia, where I grew up, uh, I studied chemistry and physics and also did a graduate degree in science communication and was really lucky to be part of a science circus where I got to travel around Australia and play with bubbles and slime and liquid nitrogen 
in regional and rural and indigenous communities. Um, so how did you end up specialising in um, climate change and mental health and what's made you want to specialise in this field? Yeah, so it sounds like a bit of a circuitous route from, from physics all the way through to neuroscience and mental health and, and then bringing in climate change. But the way it happened was, I guess, uh, really from the get-go growing up in Adelaide, surrounded by bushland and my family's house, I was very much felt uh, super lucky to be surrounded by and connected to nature. But I also felt um, always a sadness by seeing uh, environmental impacts around the world. So I was one of those uh, children who was very mindful of, of these impacts um, happening around the world already, things like deforestation, etc. But as I learned about climate change in school, as I got older, um, and in my, in my studies of, of physics and, and chemistry, it was very clear to me that this was a, a threat um, that we needed to face uh, and change and address sooner rather than later. But this inaction um, obviously continued uh, you know, including in Australia um, for many years. Uh, and so I did work in, in climate activism a bit in Australia before I came to the UK. Um, but then it was really through um, working with young people and youth mental health charities and my work in mental health that uh, I started to ask the question a few years ago of why are children and young people feeling emotional distress and, and experiencing mental health challenges. And that's a big question. A lot of people are asking it, trying to understand it in my work with Shout Crisis Text Messaging Service, understand, you know, why are people coming to use Shout? What issues are affecting them? How can we best support um, children and young people and uh, make sure that we address those issues that are affecting them and also have, have the right kind of supports in place? And, you know, people were talking about exam pressures and um, social media and all of these things are obviously very relevant. Um, but at the same time, I felt like these kind of questions that I was grappling with, I could see other young people anecdotally grappling with of, you know, how do we cope with and, and live through and grapple with this sort of changing world and this future that seems more uncertain and under threat. And I'd been researching uncertainty and you know, the, the future seemed to be getting worse. And so, you know, what, what was that doing to children and young people? And so we started asking, I started looking into the evidence and saw that actually there's this huge range and huge range of pathways by which climate change is affecting and interacting with our mental health and well-being. Um, that's really important that we're aware of and we're accounting for. Um, but also on the flip side, the way we're thinking and feeling about climate change interacts with how we act and you know, taking action in many ways at many levels of society has these huge benefits for mental health and well-being as well. So I, I suddenly this whole sort of world opened up of these kind of things clicked of how, you know, uh, many of the challenges we're facing with our health and the health of the planet um, in our societies have kind of common causes and therefore common solutions. And that's what I've been working on um, with children and young people since. Mm. Just before um, we sort of go on to sort of how climate change can affect people's mental health, um, do you mind if we go back sort of briefly? Because you mentioned in there um, that you suffered mental health issues yourself when you were younger. <clears throat> um, are you happy to sort of um, go into that a bit more? Um, if, if you're not, that's totally fine. But I was just just because you mentioned it in there. Um, yeah, what, what happened? Yeah, so, I mean, it is um, always uh, difficult, I guess, to 
be very open about these experiences because they do feel very um, personal and, and still challenging in some ways to remember. But I also um, have seen uh, through my work with It Gets Brighter that it can be hugely helpful for people to hear um, about these sort of stories and know that they're not alone and also that there's genuine cause for hope. So in that way, I was happy to to share. So yeah, when I was 14, I was um, diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder. And um, yeah, it was extremely challenging, um, both living with that um, and also uh, following other conditions that I experienced um, down the track. But it was also not only, I mean, this was sort of 20 years ago now, and not only was it uh, coming to terms with the reality that I was experiencing of um, you know, being trapped in, in my head in, the, in, in this way and the symptoms I was experiencing, but also the huge uh, stigma I felt at the time when, you know, 20 years ago as a 14 year old, the only um, depictions of mental illness I knew was, you know, someone in a straight jacket in a mental asylum. And so my uh, understanding of my identity, um, what this meant for my future. I had didn't feel like I had any role models of or any sort of sense that there was a cause for hope. And you know, I think that is where I've seen society come a long way in the last twenty years. And um, it's incredible seeing much more open conversations. And um, I really hope now that young people, you know, anyone who was in my shoes, can see that that mental illness doesn't have to be your whole identity and that there is genuine cause for hope and that you're very much not alone. Um, and there are always people out there that can help you. And very much through all the ups and downs, I've, I've seen that it's definitely not easy and don't wanna take away from, from the ups and downs and the challenges, but there is real genuine hope that it can get brighter when your brain might be telling you otherwise in those moments. I think it's really fantastic. You've sort of then gone on to set up this youth charity um, it gets brighter and you can sort of see I suppose it sort of partly explains why Ellen and I sort of like doing this podcast I've got bipolar disorder and it's sort of I think that's sort of one of the reasons I kind of want to keep doing it, it sort of like fuels you it fuels you along you sort of see like the the need for it really um but do you mind me asking as well is with your OCD um is that something that you still sort of manage and we tend to also ask guests on here um what kind of things they found helpful yeah, sure. Um, so I am one of the people who's fortunate enough that I don't sort of have that as a diagnosis anymore, but I'm sure that there are still, I mean, I still experience the tendency to get anxious um, and, you know, manage um, my own mind, I guess, in, in different ways. Um, to be honest, it's in some ways it's hard to know exactly what, uh, helped. I think it was having a supportive community and I did have therapy. I did have medication for a while as a teenager and it was really a, a process over many years, I think, and, and still a process of I'm still have therapy now. Um, but to to learn techniques, but also to, to really um, feel it was really, really important to feel supported and to be um, have a strong support network around and to be accepted for who I was and not just as seen as someone with with OCD and to be able to be seen and accepted um, and to sort of accept myself. So I think that's part of the reason I'm 
um, one of the many things why I'm such a strong advocate for um, the power of, of community, the power of um, social connection, connection to ourselves, to others and, and to nature, which is part of my work now as well with uh, the ways that we cope with and adapt to a changing climate. Mm. Absolutely. And um, thanks for bringing it back to, to climate change there, because I mean, I could talk about um, mental health. Well, we obviously are talking about mental health stuff, but yeah, there's sort of ins and out of OCD stuff all day. But unfortunately, we only have, yeah, the, the half an hour. So um, let's go back to the big question, um, which is how can climate change affect people's mental health? Yeah, so <laughs> there's a it's a it's a big question, to be honest, because there are so many different um, ways and the way that we've sort of conceptualized it or talk about it um, at Climate Cares, which is the organization that I lead at Imperial between the Institute of Global Health Innovation and the Grantham Institute, is that we see this as sort of a continuum. So there's climate change is increasing or the climate crisis is increasing um, global temperatures and we're obviously seeing more extreme heat waves, more frequent heat waves as we're about to experience in the UK um, and more fires and floods and droughts and all the things we've been hearing about. And so if you directly experience these things, this has um, mental health effects that we're, we're seeing in the evidence. So uh, heat, for example, what we're sort of, I guess, talking about today um, does come with risks, not only physical risks, uh, and those physical risks are worse for people with existing mental illnesses um, sometimes. And so that's a group we need to make sure really uh, have have the right supports in place. But also um, mental health can be affected by the heat. And we see things like, um, unfortunately, higher uh, suicide risk um, at higher temperatures, more people likely to come to emergency services with worse symptoms of mental illness. And also the general population, you know, we can feel more cranky, we're sleeping less well, um, there's more conflict uh, and there can be changes to, you know, our physiology at those high temperatures. Um, and so essentially that's one, one example of the direct effects. And we imagine if we're experiencing the threat of our home being destroyed, our livelihood being destroyed, um, more food and water insecurity, more conflict, all of these compounding things that we know are happening with a changing climate, they have big psychological effects, understandably, and they can be very distressing for people and communities, but also just hearing about these things. So, you know, I don't know how people are feeling just hearing those kind of um, facts and, and hearing the news. And I know there's many people, um, including many, many young people, but people of all ages who, you know, it's understandable to be really uh, scared and um, maybe angry, a whole range of emotions um, and distress when we think about the the facts of, of the climate crisis and where we're at. But as I'd like to go on to discuss, you know, there's uh, a huge um, potential to, to uh, both sit with and, and understand and talk and share those kind of uh, emotions and experiences in in healthy ways with um, within communities and organizations that are springing up. Um, but also once we've had the opportunity to, to process some of that um, and learn those skills to cope with uh, this changing world, we can also direct that into action, which in itself can help our mental health and well-being in numerous ways. And just to sort of finish by saying that 
these things are linked, these kind of crises are kind of compounding because there's ultimately common causes. You know, if we're burning fossil fuels, for example, that's ultimately what's causing climate change and the climate crisis. Um, but also that's causing air pollution, for example, which has a huge range of um, impacts on our mental and physical health, uh, which are also worsened then by heat, that air pollution is worsened by heat. And so if we address that cause of not burning fossil fuels, we get less air pollution and, and it addresses inequalities because poorer communities are more likely to experience that worse air pollution and has huge benefits for less people dying from air pollution, less uh, impact on mental health that we see there's um, higher rates of um, schizophrenia, anxiety, depression, and even potentially suicide risk with um, worse air pollution. So by addressing these kind of common causes, we can uh, find common solutions. And the same for things like access to nature and green space, um, which is a big part of how we keep our cities cool as well and adapt to the higher temperatures. Mm, I definitely want to get on to sort of the more positive side and sort of the things that people can do. But just before we do, can, can we just briefly go back to sort of the heat and the heat wave, just because, as you said, that's that's what we're experiencing at the moment. So I suppose it's on everyone's sort of mind. Um, it is, it's interesting, isn't it, that it affects both sort of, well, everyone um, in terms of people sort of get more stressed and sort of seem to have shorter tempers, but also um, people with long-term mental health issues. Um, do we know why that is? Yeah, so it's a, it's a great question. Um, it's something where there are, uh, there is some evidence, but there's also sort of ongoing research and there might be, again, different ways that um, we get the same outcome. So, as I said, there can be changes in, in our society, things like there's more conflict and aggression we see at higher temperatures, people find it harder to work, there's reduced kind of productivity, people are sleeping um, potentially uh, quite badly in the heat sometimes, which we know is related to mental health outcomes as well. Um, but also there's changes in our, in our blood flow, in our cognition. Um, and importantly, people who um, take certain medications, including some of the medications um, for managing uh, diagnosed mental illnesses, um, they can affect the body's ability to regulate heat uh, temperature as well. Um, so that's definitely not to say to, to not take them or anything like that, um, but to make sure that people get the right information and uh, are also managing um, that and, and staying cool, um, finding spaces to stay cool in the, in the warmer weather. And we can go on to that as well and how we can protect um, the people more vulnerable in our societies. Mm, definitely. Um, I'm just going to ask you another huge question then. So um, what can individuals do? Um, in terms of, um, well, two big questions. What can individuals do, but also what can society do to tackle climate change, but to also to support people struggling with mental health um, issues that have been, which have been triggered by climate change? Yeah, great questions. It's sort of the, the basis of, of my work, so I'll try and keep it brief. But essentially to tackle climate change, well, fundamentally we need action from leaders and we need to stop burning fossil fuels um, and there's also a range of ways there's already the ways that we can do that which have been outlined in the um, IPCC report this year and so putting pressure on on leaders to to act 
is is vital and urgent um and there's but doing that collectively and with groups who are um who are starting to come together and um uh you know demand change is is really important and can be really helpful for people's mental health as well from from anecdotally I'm seeing but in general what we call collective action or doing things with like-minded communities can be really valuable for mental health and we can um, have climate distress and good mental health at the same time because it's it's healthy to care it's, it's an empathetic caring response to be worried about this and worried about other people being impacted and um, you know wildlife around the world and and the safe of our current and future societies that's a sort of a, a good adaptive healthy response but um we need to make sure we protect that stress particularly for children and young people becoming a mental health burden which it also can and collective action is one of those ways um that seems to really work so there are great groups like force of nature we work with at climate cares we're also um, working with children and young people in many different ways um to allow them to come together and uh, there's things like climate cafes um, where people can reflect and, and share um, and process what they're experiencing and hold that while at the same time practicing active hope and um, yeah creating change and pushing towards the future we want to see through actions and through working with like-minded communities um, on as well as like sort of stopping the the root causes in our society of burning fossil fuels we also need to adapt to the the world that's already heating and as we're seeing right now and that climate um adaptation fundamentally um the ipcc has very much said has to be done with communities as well we need what's called participatory approaches so we need to hear local knowledge local needs um, people in communities making decisions about how they adapt and also how they what's called mitigation or, or stop um, and, and some of the the issues that are causing climate change in the first place as well so those kind of actions um, even though we do need top-down policies can be very much taken at a local level and need that local level uh, and that local knowledge and again we need to have young people's voices listened to and heard and, and part of that um, process and so examples um, can be within cities as I said before um, within local areas if there's not enough green space which again happens in poorer communities um, that is creates what's called urban heat islands and it's much more likely with all that concrete around that the temperatures get to dangerously high levels and so by um, finding ways and spaces and it comes from you know top-down redesign of cities, but also with with locals um, making decisions to uh, have more green space in those areas and be being part of that, um, making those changes that can really help um, adapt and bring down the temperature. It's also obviously helping um, the more uh, rewilding and, and growing and green spaces we have across uh, vast scales across the UK, and that will also help to draw down carbon and is what's called a mitigation measure um, of preventing some of the heating in the first place um, and at the same time doing those things is really good for our mental health and well-being of coming together with community of um, pushing for the future that we want to see that that really is a place that cares better for people and planet and those things are really aligned and can reinforce each other 
So they depend on each other, um, but they also have big win-wins. So the more that we can work together, the more we can push towards uh, a world that cares for people and planet, the better it's going to be for our mental health and the better for a safer climate in ways that, that mutually reinforce. And so we can all be, be part of um, making uh, those changes and pushing for those actions um, in our daily lives, but particularly joining with, with others in community um, and just being aware and talking to people about this, talking to people about what's happening um, and what we need to see is really, really important. Mm. Um, well, you've already given us sort of loads of ideas in there. And especially, I mean, I love the ideas about getting involved in your local community and sort of seeing what you can do practically there. And I can definitely see how doing practical stuff um, can definitely sort of make you feel hopeful because you're actually, you know, you feel like you're doing something rather than having this big sort of maybe cloud of fear over your head, sort of just, you know, terrified about what's going to happen to the planet. Um, um, but could you um, also maybe give us three sort of simple things that individuals um, could do to help tackle climate change? So, yeah, so in terms of what individuals can do, um, the first thing is, again, to note that sometimes we can't move straight from awareness and, and into action. And it's important that, you know, it's OK to hold the um, these kind of uncomfortable emotions that we can feel in response um, to thinking about um, the climate crisis. But also know that if it gets too overwhelming or distressing, there is help and support available. There's the Climate Psychology Alliance has a range of resources and um, climate aware mental health support on their website and others we can point your listeners to. But also that uh, by, as I said, sort of um, creating space for that, you can hold both the fact that there are things to be upset about and also that there is a, a, a cause and an opportunity um, to create hope through our actions and to hold the, that paradox and to hold those things together. And that's really important that wherever wherever we're at, there's always a better and a worse path forward. And we can be very much part of pushing for that future that we want to see. And so actions individuals can take, which again, really support health and well-being, um, are eat a more plant-based balanced diet. So that is reducing the animal products in our diet is actually a really big um, impact on on emissions, but also on uh, our health as well, and, and including including mental and physical health. And again, the IPCC reports really strongly pointed out how these things are mutually beneficial, and and the Grantham Institute has as well. Um, also, doing more active active commuting. Again, people might have heard this before, but walking and cycling more. Um, children are actually more exposed to uh, air pollution if they're sitting inside sort of a car than if they are actually walking and cycling to school, which I think that uh, is a surprise to, to some parents, for example. Um, but obviously, if you're walking and cycling, you're not contributing to that, uh, those emissions, that air pollution, and it's also better for your health and mental health. So if you can and you're able to do that, particularly for short trips, um, that's, that's really, really valuable. Another thing you can do and what we can, links to what we can do as a society is to better insulate homes both from heat and cold. And again, this has a huge range of flow and benefits. So if we better insulate homes, they'll be uh, cheaper to, to heat and or cool. Um, and this uh, helps with the cost of living crisis, which again is linked to the climate crisis. Um, and will also be better for physical and mental health, both because people are less stressed by the financial 
implications, uh, but also because you know having a too hot or a too cold house is also bad for our physical and mental health. So again, there's these numerous benefits that come from these actions. Um, similarly, we can be part of enjoying and protecting natural spaces, connecting more to nature, um, making uh, time in your life for that, but also maybe joining groups where you can be part of um, initiatives to plant, to rewild, uh, and, and make sure we're protecting the nature that we have as well as, as growing more. So this is goodbye from mentally yours. So go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your chores from mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours, mentally yours. If you've been affected by any of the issues we've been chatting about today, please give the Samaritans a ring on 116123. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and subscribe to our channel and perhaps even go back and listen to some old episodes. We have many of them. Also, you can get in contact with us. We have a lovely Facebook group, which is called Mentally Yours. And we're also on Twitter at MentallyYRS. See you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.